thanks for joining us again for another episode. Jared, tonight, mate, we're actually going to get out of the house and go for a run with Jean-Claude Van Damme. There'll be nowhere to run, <laughs> which is an interesting 90, 1993 picture from JCVD. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's sure when, you're looking forward when, to it. Is that correct? Yeah, it's when he calls you up and says you want to go for a run and you say, ah, yeah, no, sorry, mate, um, but not feeling it today. <laughs> I've run screaming from him before. <laughs> yeah. Tight hammies, oh, no. sore back. And look, look, I'm not going to lie. I don't know how far into a run I'll get with him <laughs> based on this. Yeah, it could only like, be a K or two. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's when you hit the fork in the road and you yeah, you head that way, mate. I'm just going to jog home. So. Yeah. yeah, keep running. I'll catch up. <laughs> <laughs> but look, before we get to that, let's do a quick whip round of what we've watched. I've watched the majority of the new Netflix doco series, The Innocence Files. Yep. Look, it's really good. It's well made. It's got interesting stuff in it. You still sit there and think, how the fuck did these people get put in prison? And the police work at times is just a disgrace. But there's so many of these shows that there's a real deja vu feeling about that watching it. Yeah. I sometimes just sit there thinking, uh, you know, do I really want to watch another episode? Yeah. I've kind of some of these cases you hear but in, in other mediums or they've been on other shows or podcasts yeah. or whatever. But that's right. Someone like someone like um you who enjoys that true crime stuff, you definitely come across the same cases. If you listen to enough podcasts and watch enough shows, you come across the same cases and things like that. So I don't think it dulls the impact of if I get arrested, I am fucking pulling out the super glue and jamming it on my lips. Because essentially it's always the case of the police put enough pressure on and, I mean, it's almost emotional fucking torture. They torture these people enough that they confess or they they say something but yeah you're right it is it is a little bit deja vu so when you're watching it as a as a as a viewing experience it dulls the impact a little bit yeah it doesn't take away from the quality of the program but it just feels like well, we've been down this road before <laughs> i also watched the first two episodes of the last dance oh didn't as we, we all? talked about last episode absolutely loved it, it was fascinating i was fascinated yep I did not move for two hours. Well, put it this way: I would, I would estimate, and you would probably be able to back me up here because you've borrow, borrowed a few of them. But I would estimate that I've read a dozen books about Michael Jordan, the majority of him during those Bulls days, and even yeah. knowing a lot of the stories, I was still sitting there just, just absolutely gripped. I mean, just I was hanging yeah. on every word, even about things that I knew about. Um, yeah, and I, I, I cannot wait for next week to see the next two episodes. I think there's some yeah. really interesting stuff there, and I think the, it's the, it's really well put together. The guy's just fascinating because I don't care what anybody says. He is he is the greatest basketball player of all time, and he's built differently, even to everybody else, including the likes of Kobe and our favourite player Tim Duncan. He's built a little yeah. he's built a little differently to Tim Duncan because I I think Tim Duncan's a nice person. <laughs> But <laughs> Jordan just he's just built differently. Like even now sitting there watching him as a fifty year old man, you can watch him and still tell that he just can't let things go and he still wishes he could be out there just torching people. <laughs> he's yeah. he's just he's just built differently and it was fucking fascinating to actually see 
that footage, um, you know, the first two episodes only fed us a tiny bit of that footage that they've sat on for 20 plus years and you watch it and you think, I cannot wait for the next few episodes where they ramp up the amount of footage from that season. I think it was an hour and 40 over the two episodes and the footage that we actually got of that season that no one's ever seen was pretty minimal. It was only the exhibition games and a little bit of practice and those couple of snippets of practice where he's telling people, fucking hell, you know, get there. I'm not coming late. You get there. <laughs> You're sitting there. Yeah, like, he's I, I cannot wait for eight episodes of this. <laughs> I think it's it's more than just the greatest basketballer. I would hazard to say he's probably the greatest athlete that yeah. has ever been. In terms of his global reach, everyone knows who he is and, yeah. you know, his impact on the game, but also the pressure that would have been on him. That's right. Um, every single night he had to go out there and he always delivered, and that's what someone says in the in the first episode, you know. You, you never turned up to a Jordan game and saw him score 12 points and go, oh, shit, that was rubbish. Yeah, well. He always <laughs> delivered. They showed the McDonald's. When you shoot 40 shots, that's usually happening. Yeah, well, they showed the McDonald's championship when they played against the French teams. And they showed, I mean, they showed a couple of clips. And those poor bastards on the French teams, at, at that <laughs> at that period in time, basketball wasn't quite the global sport that it, ha- it has gotten to now. And quite frankly, it's gotten to because of Jordan and the Dream Team. Those poor bastards on those French teams in 1996, 1997, they could not handle Michael Jordan. There's one bloke, he puts a crossover on one bloke and the guy's in the next fucking, the next territory. He's, he's, he's crossed over county lines. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, look, it was absolutely fascinating and I cannot wait. For the rest of it, yeah, it's it's, it's going totally, to be a fantastic four five weeks. Totally different to the stuff that we would normally talk about, but it's going to be a fucking horror show to watch for um, NBA fans of particular teams for that next couple of weeks. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Look, I also saw the most recent Dark Side of the Ring episode with Superfly Jimmy Snooker. Yep, fascinating as well. Uh, look, I'm gonna hazard a guess he did it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say you're, you know, you're possibly on the money there, yeah, super sleuth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, look, oh, you don't have to be fucking Hercule Poirot to work, <laughs> work out what was going on, but it was it was an interesting um, viewing. I must say, though, Jared, there wasn't a hell of a lot of evidence, do you know what I mean? No. To suggest think- 100%. Well, I think that's the thing. It's 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 an it's a thing about the era. It's a thing about the personality that was involved. It's it it's a lot, but I would suggest that he had some things to answer for. Yes, I too would suggest that. I watched Friday the Thirteenth parts seven and eight Lucky for you. our upcoming series of podcasts. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna throw a quick little tidbit. <laughs> Part eight is a fucking disaster. <laughs> it is a disaster. And I don't want to be mean to it, but. Yes, you do. It's right there near the bottom. Yeah. It feels like a TV movie. It's really, really badly made. Mm hmm. 
and I'm sure we'll get into it much deeper. I'm not going to go into it in depth in here, but um, yep. so that'll be a very interesting discussion when we get to rating the actual films in order. Yeah, I know Brandon's uh, around the same same sort of place in the series. So Brandon, if you're listening, uh, cannot wait <laughs> to hear your thoughts on part eight. <laughs> If you're listening, Brandon, give us a quick tidbit. Part eight, fucking disaster, yes or no? <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> uh, I watched uh, Batman and Bill. Yep. The documentary that you spoke about some time ago. Yep. Uh, really interesting stuff. Very really interesting. Really interesting stuff. Yep. And I, it's it's great that there was some finally some closure on it. Yeah. With regards to the whole who created Batman. Yeah. It's fair well, to I'm say not, Bob not Kane's sure. a bit of a bastard. Yeah, Bob Kane's uh, yeah piece of shit. But I think, as you said, there is actually closure because uh, every you know every issue of Batman that I purchase now, it, it actually does say created by Bob Kane with the help of Bill Finger. So the guy yeah. has finally gotten recognition, and I would say it's in large part to the the fella that made the doco. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and his efforts to actually find the you know the family and things like that and and sort of get them noticed I think was was fantastic and it's you know long overdue probably. Well, yeah, as as um, me and you sort of spoke about briefly, it's uh, Bob Kane obviously had the idea first, um, but there is no question that Batman is not what what we would see as Batman today without Bill Finger. I mean, he created almost all the iconic things that still last from that that era to today. He created yeah. Gotham City, he created um Well, he created James Batman's Gordon. backstory. Backstory. He changed the design. Joker? The Joker, I believe he came up with the Joker, Catwoman, and these are all things that are still incredibly important to Batman today. So if you're a comics fan, then it's sort of like, yeah, if, if Bill Finger wasn't around, then you wouldn't have what, what you have today. Absolutely. Yeah. The last thing for me was I watched three episodes of Lock and Key. I'm enjoying it. It's kind of a mix of sort of fantasy and horror that's not always successful. Mm. But I will see it out. It, there's still interest. Like there's still little bits and pieces that come up that I think, oh, well, where's that going? Yeah. Um, and so I'll see it through to the end and see how well it sort of plays out from here as to whether or not, you know, you look at a second season uh, yeah. when that comes up. So, you know. This is an interesting one for me because Joe Hill has had quite the dalliance with uh, comics. He's he's had quite a few. And Lock and Key is, is I would say, the most popular. And yeah. um, as someone that reads comics, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on comics, but I, I definitely I frequent a comic shop every Thursday when the new new comics drop, and I, I try to stay up on this sort of stuff. And I've read The Cape from Joe Hill, and I've listened to Nosferatu as an audio book. So I think I've kind of taken his uh, material in from from a couple of angles. I haven't actually read Lock and Key, but it's very well regarded. So I was really keen to see what was going to happen with the TV show. So it's interesting to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah, look, it's worth a look, mate. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll probably have a bigger interest in it than I would. But the good thing for me is it didn't sort of put me off. Yeah. Those first few episodes kind of gripped me and they held me. The last couple have been a little bit not quite where I wanted them to be, but mm-hmm. I think there's enough there that tells me, well, hang in, you might get some payoff. Okay, good to hear. But that's it for me, mate. That's everything for me. What do you got? 
Okay, so obviously we discussed the last dance. You mentioned Dark Side of the Ring as well. So I watched the Jimmy Snooker episode, but just before we recorded, probably an hour beforehand, uh, the Dino Bravo episode dropped as well. Oh. Um, so I actually watched it. And this is, I've got to say, it's um, its probably not one of the best episodes, but it's what I love about the series in that it gives Dino Bravo his due as a... Uh, it, it it respects the background that he had before coming to the to the WWF. So, for my personal background, obviously, like I knew who Dino Bravo was because when I was getting in into wrestling as a as a kid in the you know the late eighties, early nineties, I would hire the videotapes from the from the the video store, and Dino Bravo was always on there, and I was an Ultimate Warrior man. Because I was an idiot, and Ultimate Warrior just used to shake the ropes and fucking smash someone in twenty seconds. You were like, easily impressed. <laughs> I thought this by people great. from parts unknown. <laughs> yeah, all the all the all the uh, you know the people with any semblance of a brain out there used to love the Ric Flairs and that sort of thing. But I was like, yeah, the Ultimate Warrior, he's the man. And Dino Bravo had a bit of you know bit, bit of back and forth with the Ultimate Warrior, so I knew who he was. But it was awesome in this episode to see that essentially in Canada he was, you know, he was a wrestling legend. He was the Hulk Hogan of the the kind of the federation that he was in at the time. So it gives – this is what I love about the series, that it gives everyone their due and shows he was a well-respected wrestler at the time and that, you know, he didn't just come in and fucking get squashed by the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> every, every now and then. He actually had a, a background as a legit wrestler. But the fascinating thing about it is it seemingly was a mafia hit when he died and I guess watching the episode, you, you get these, they talk to everyone and everyone's got a different idea. So either nobody knows what happened or everyone's too scared and you see his wife talk about it, and I get the sense that she was possibly too scared to still talk about it. So it's yeah. fascinating from that sense. But I mean, the series is just great. If you've got any interest in wrestling, you got to check it out. So that was that was there. Still on Gotham, punching through the last two seasons as a Batman fan, just sort of working my way through and uh, going through the ups and downs of, of what they do to the Batman <laughs> kind of mythos. It's sort of fascinating to watch because they're they're making the series at a time when Batman has kind of got that respect back as a character thanks to the likes of uh, Christopher Nolan <laughs> in that medium. But then they... In some ways, they take a Batman 1966 approach to some of it, and uh, so it's it's really interesting to watch. Like, I, I, it feels I, like it's it's kind of a little bit of both tones, and they don't necessarily mix well. Is that a fair assessment of it? Oh, totally. Um, yeah. So just to you know, give an example, like Victor Zaz, who's a, a character who's pretty familiar to most. People who've read a Batman comic in you know in the comics and in most iterations he's a just a stone cold killer and and emotionless and whatever. Whereas in in Gotham he's a quipping sort of hitman type second fiddle. <laughs> and I actually I I actually really like the character in Gotham, but it's not Victor's has. So you sort of right. you, know, you get you get these plays on the character that are totally different, but. I like it for what it is, but it just feels like, you know, Dark Knight Returns with Batman 66 just find it kind of jammed together and you just get a bit of everything. It's all over the shop. Some of it great, some of it not so great. But, uh, yeah, I'll finish it off. I watched The Tiger King and I, 
Uh, oh, yeah. Look, I Joel McHale. I think anyone that's, you know, listened to us regularly is, probably knows that we love a bit of Joel McHale taking the piss out of ridiculous things. So the episode to me was worthwhile. It was clear that it was just a little cash in to, you know, get a bit of extra extra viewership out of out of something that was popular. Joel McHale was possibly not the right man for the job because you could tell he was just he just wanted to make a few gags. He got to make a couple, but then he had to ask some serious questions, which might might not be his bag. <laughs> Didn't really no, work. The episode was worthwhile because he actually got a few tidbits that made uh, it, it made the forty minutes worthwhile. Like it, you, you got some new information about a couple of things that went on that 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 changed how they were viewed in the episode. Like that Travis fella when he killed himself in Tiger King, it made it pretty clear that he did that to kill himself. Whereas in Tiger King and I, it seemed like perhaps it was an accident, right? Um, which is a pretty big thing to <laughs> you know to represent in such a different way. So, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile in that sense. But, you know, when you take something as serious as that and then you get Joel, Joel McHale as the man asking the questions, it's, it maybe isn't the best fit. Yeah, perhaps not the uh, the best option, but uh, I can understand why they're doing it. I mean, it's going gangbusters since it came out. Oh, so of course. They just want to cash in and that's, you know, from everything I read, they said it was pretty, pretty average, but. Oh, I'll have of course. Look at it. It's it's just not. It's just the. St- I mean, it's exactly what you would expect when we're all in a quarantine and you've got to sit there and ask questions of people that you don't necessarily want to put offside, but you want to get a bit of new information out of, and it comes out exactly as you would expect from that situation. <laughs> Especially yeah. with Joel McHale as the one hammering them. I mean, if you had to put Ray Martin on there, he might have got some. <laughs> he might have got some better info out of him. He might have hammered him a little some bit. Some deeper Ray, tidbits, Ray. some deeper cuts, mate. <laughs> Ray would have smashed him. You know it. Um, yeah, I know it. The funniest thing about it is, uh, I think it's only just been the last couple of days. Jeff Lowe didn't ask me anything on Reddit. Piss funny. If you've seen some of the yeah. things that people asked him, they they were asking him questions like. Why are you the uh, the the human version of a can of Monster Energy drink? <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, how how many bottles of Axe body spray do you go through a year? <laughs> All this sort of shit, quite amusing. I think Joel McHale would have been right in on that if he was allowed to be. Outside of that, it's mostly the kid stuff. I watched uh, every Wizard of Oz movie that was available to us. Right. Basically, we we read the Marvel retellings of the Wizard of Oz books. So the kids wanted to watch the movie, so we watched the original. We watched Return to Oz, which I must oh, yeah. say was a, Return to Oz was a bit of a touchstone for me. It was I would consider Return to Oz one of my gateways into horror movies because as a fucking six or seven-year-old, it was pretty fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Did it still have that effect on you? It didn't have that effect on me, but uh, it had that effect on the kids. The wheelers weren't exactly uh, popular. There was, you know, a couple of instances where they were ducking behind pillows when the wheelers and things like that were on screen. Um, Right. But, yeah, it was awesome to go back to for me. I really enjoyed it. And not only that, but having just kind of read where the – because I never read the books watching the movies, so reading – the Marvel t- retellings are pretty faithful to the books. So checking out where it all came from was pretty cool. Um, but, we, yeah, we also had to watch Oz the Great and Powerful, which I don't remember being a great experience. And, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, watching it again, it was pretty ordinary. 
God, I can't believe you've seen it twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Possibly the biggest is, <laughs> I can't even get to once. No, no. But it's on Disney Plus, so you'll get to it eventually. No, I'll get there. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. Shit. <laughs> one of the hey, one of the on. biggest <laughs> horror shows, again, thanks to Disney Plus. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you how we got to this, but after watching Oz, I think it came up on a recommended. And so here comes recommended, Mr. Magoo. And I've started having a chuckle because it was Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> so, Don't tell me you watched that, did you? <laughs> we watched it. Fuck. We watched it. Because as soon you as I saw got Leslie too much Nielsen. Time on your head. Oh, mate, as soon as I saw Leslie Nielsen, I started chuckling about all the good stuff Leslie Nielsen had done. <laughs> and so we. Was it trash? It was absolute trash. But we chucked on the first 10 minutes or so. And I was. Before we started, I tried to explain to my kids. I said, so the, the whole joke is that this guy's got bad eyesight. And so he ends up in situations that are ridiculous. And the first 10 minutes, I mean, there's a couple of things that even I laughed at, a bit of classic Leslie Nielsen that I laughed at. (laughs) So they were absolutely killing themselves laughing. So we watched the whole thing and I was just like, oh, fucking hell, poor old Leslie. He got got saddled with this later in his career when he's probably saying, look, I've only got 10 years left on the planet and my my kids and grandkids (laughs) need something. But yeah, it's it's absolute trash. I'm not going to lie, there was possibly three to four times where a bit of classic Leslie Nielsen got me giggling pretty heavily. But it is absolute trash. But the kids loved it. So if you got kids, oh, check on Mr. Magoo. They'll bloody love. <laughs> and also, the thing that shocked me the most is Jennifer Garner is in there playing some randomly, obviously fictional. I can't say Middle Eastern country. She's like a, a, a representative of some fictional Middle Eastern country. Jeez. So they've, they've got her hair dyed dark, and that's enough. <laughs> you Jeez, want to I wonder about, if she leaves it off the resume. Oh, mate, you want to talk about whitewashing? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Can you find someone any any whiter than Jennifer Garner to play a Middle Eastern? Yes. Possibly not Uh, the best casting choice. No, possibly not the best casting choice. Obviously, like you, I've been uh, going through the Friday the 13th series in preparation for our, what you've called the definitive uh, retelling of the series, what I would call. Well, look, Crystal Lake Memories might have interviews with the actual players, but we're going to talk about what the fuck moments and. (laughs) Blokes who are disgusting pigs. <laughs> yeah. Characters yeah. within the franchise that are disgusting pigs. We're going to dig really deep, but it seems like we're going to dig deep into the toilet bowl and not much. <laughs> I mean, there will, you will not have listened to so many podcasts that talk about feces in <laughs> in your life. Again, Brandon's listening to this and just uh, reneging on the whole deal. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, just might, it might end up being just me and you after that. But, yeah, obviously I've watched them. I've watched through to part four. I'm about to kick off part five. But, uh, yeah, going from part four to five is, yeah, that's the that's the epitome of champagne to shit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think four is an absolute winner. And the three that came before it all have moments that I really like. Uh, fives where things go a bit bad for me. They then pick up a bit later, but 
fives where it, it kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and the very last thing that I watched is I'm kicking off a rewatch of The Wire, which for me was the greatest yes. TV show that I've ever watched. The reason I'm doing that is because The Ringer has started a podcast called Way Down in the Hole, which is an episode-by-episode episode rewatch. And quite frankly... I absolutely devoured the first two episodes and was filthy that I had to hold up until they until they dropped another episode so I could kind of continue on. To me, it is just a it's the best TV show that's that's ever been on. I just think it is so engaging. There's so many characters that are so different and and developed throughout the series and yeah, it's fucking fantastic. So if you haven't watched The Wire, you got to get on that for more. And that was, yeah, that was the last um, thing I watched. I've already made uh, made overtures to start getting the first season. So yeah, good. Get on it. I, essentially, I watched the I, I rewatched the first episode, which my recollection was everyone that I've told to watch The Wire that hasn't watched it, I've said you got to give it three episodes because the show doesn't wait for you. It just delves into the characters without all this introductory shit. But the first scene is just this scene of, of McNulty who who is essentially the, the the main character in the whole thing talking to this guy on the street about a murder that's taken place and it's fucking brilliant. The dialogue is just fucking sizzling <laughs> for mine. Sizzling. Straight off straight off the bat. And I think perhaps it is because I've watched it before and I know I know who's who. But the dialogue from the get-go is fucking outstanding. And the, the first episode is great, but from the second episode on, it is just it's it's just um top notch. So yeah, check it out. Definitely. Is that everything for you? That's it. All right. Let's take a break. Put on your running shoes. Your headbands, we're going off for a run with Van Damme with 1993's Nowhere to Run. Here's the trailer. We're going to need her parcel. It's right in the middle of the whole development. It was her home. They want your land. Her struggle. I'm not going to give up my home. But now. Sam, Sam, something's wrong. It's his war. When push comes to shove, you're going to be dealing with me. I look forward to it. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Rosanna Arquette, <laughs> Kieran Culkin. Nowhere <laughs> to Run, a Robert Harmon film, rated R, at theaters January 15th. Nowhere to Run from 1993. It's directed by Robert Harmon, who directed The Hitcher. It's produced by Gary Adelson, who produced Hard to Kill, and Craig Baumgarten, who produced Universal Soldier. The story is by noted smut merchant Joe Esterhase, who gave us Basic Instinct and Showgirls, and Richard Markland, who was actually the director of Return of the Jedi. Oh, shit. I bet he wishes he could have gone back to a Star Wars movie. Sorry, mate? I said I bet he wishes he could have gone back to a Star Wars movie. Yeah, well, I think he was only involved in the story because I believe he died before this was made. Okay, my apologies, Richard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the screenplay by Joe Esther has Leslie Boehm, who wrote A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, and Randy Feldman, who wrote Tango and Cash. It's, it's just uh, a cavalcade, of, cavalcade <laughs> of powerhouses in the genre, isn't it? Exactly. I'm surprised it makes any sense with Randy <laughs> Feldman involved. <laughs> but then again, it wasn't directed by Ted Beeble. <laughs> It stars Jean-Claude Van Damme as Sam Gillen, Rosanna Arquette as Clyde Anderson, Kieran Culkin as Mike Mookie Anderson, and Ted Levine as Mr. Dunstan. 
The budget was $15 million and the box office was $22 million worldwide. I've got quite a bit of uh, trivia here. It was initially written for Mel Gibson. <laughs> I think Mel might have had a quick look and said, nah. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the <laughs> missing bit of that trivia is Mel Gibson saying, ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Rosetta Arquette stated that she disliked working with JCVD and Odie took the role as there were very few decent female parts around. Right. And the last one is a, a quote from Van Damme about the film. The script was not that good. The writer told me he was going to fix everything. I was in his house. He shook my hand. He promised me, but he didn't fix it. <laughs> yeah, but is JCVD the uh, at that point in his career? Is he the judge of that? Is he really <laughs> the man you're picking to sit on the on the judges' table to say eh, we need to, to to punch up the writing in this? <laughs> no, he's not, mate. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Look, I'm not going to kick the absolute daylights out of this. I'm going to say it's a two and a half out of five. It's kind of a middling Van Damme. It's action scenes are actually all right. When they get to doing what Van Damme does best, it's directed with a little bit of style and it's okay. It works on those terms. Where it falls down is the... Rubbish characterizations, some terrible dialogue, and they basically kind of showcase Van Damme's lack of skills as an actor deliberately, yeah. seemingly. When he has to do anything dramatic, he just looks uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and it never works on those terms. So. If you'd have just jacked up the action, you probably would have got me over the line with a three or something like that because I would have been pretty reasonably happy. But because the action scenes are only few and far between, all the bullshit in between is just not up to scratch. So two and a half. Yep. Where are you um, at with JCV? How far into the run are you? <laughs> well, I mean, I probably would have told him to fuck off before he called me up and said, <laughs> me, he wouldn't have been calling me up. He'd have been saying, nah, that bloke doesn't like me, so I'm not going to call up and see if he wants to go for a run. But, no, you, you bang on. Funnily enough, me and you land on the same score again. <laughs> with a, we're on a, I think we're on a streak here. No, no, I think... We differed on Machete a little bit, even though I was a bigger fan. You gave it the bigger score. But two and a half was where I, I hit as well. So for mainly the same reasons, it's not a totally disappointing Van Damme movie. Like when you go to the action section, I say action section because I'm still talking about going and picking up videos <laughs> like, like we did when this was around. You knew what you were getting into. And JCVD was top of the shelf in that era. <laughs> but, yeah, the but 90s. When you, when you get the chance to look back at all of it as a whole and see, you know, the goods and the bads, you bang on. It's not a disappointing Van Damme movie for someone that went to actually select a Van Damme movie, <laughs> but it is not top, top tier Van Damme. It's a well enough constructed story for an action movie of this ilk. 
but you are bang on. Whenever there's acting required, which to me there is too much of it in this movie required from Mr. Van Damme himself, um, <laughs> that's where it, that's where it sort of falls down. So yeah, the the, the whole idea of the movie simple. <laughs> you get a you get a really good actor like Ted Levine to play to play a role there of someone who's going to be an antagonist. But yeah, as you said, I, I don't know whether they thought. Look, it doesn't matter if Jean-Claude looks uncomfortable because he's supposed to be a bloke on the run from prison. So anything he does should look uncomfortable. <laughs> he shouldn't be. He but shouldn't yet look. he rolls around the place with fucking impu- impunity. Impunity. You swear he didn't get out of jail. Mate, he's down at the bloody corner store more than I've been in the last three weeks. So <laughs> shit, if I was on the run. If I was on the run, I'd have been. I wouldn't have been popping my head out of the barn. I'd have been hiding under the hay or well, something. Let me tell you something, mate. Ten minutes into his escape, police pull up to the local, you know, Star Mart and go, "Have you seen this guy? Oh yeah, yeah. He's just um, he's um, camping down by the lake." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he came in. He had a he had the whole setup. He had the tent. He had a he, he bought a couple grill. of steaks and he he took off. He's <laughs> Okay, so how do we know how to find him? Look, he's in a pretty good-looking suit, and the pants are up around the chin, so you'll know him when you see him. <laughs> but, yeah, I was, I was spot on, mate. Two and a half is where it's at because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily disappoint if this, is, if this is what you're after, but you're not going to go back to it very <laughs> Jared, often. no one's after this. <laughs> well, me and you are. I mean, I got the call from you to say, what about nowhere to run? And neither of us, neither of us thought better of it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what I mean is his fan base wasn't interested in this. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say he was cresting a wave. I mean, he caught a small wave into the beach <laughs> with these. <laughs> he's like time cop. A wave. Had he had he actually done time cop by this stage? Oh, I no, can't I think remember. They were after, but I wouldn't say cresting a wave. I mean, if oh shit, he's fucking. He's he's, <laughs> okay. he's he faffing around on the bloody <laughs> he's faffing around on the on the um on the bubbles at this point. I don't think he's riding the wave. Yeah, well, he's he's in the white water, but he'd had <laughs> Universal Soldier, I believe, which mm. was a hit prior yep. to this. Yep. And, yeah, you understood what you were getting with Van Damme with things like bloody Lionheart and, and Kickboxer and all that shit. Yeah. You knew what you were getting. And if nobody calls really for a while, if nobody calls for a while and Joe Esterhouse uh, starts starts blowing up your pager, I think you say, okay, and off you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, though? When the writer says he's going to fix it, don't take his <laughs> fucking word for it. Like, you've read it. It's shit. And I think Esterhouse <laughs> might have. I, I may be wrong on this, but didn't Esterhouse say he was fucking high as a kite at these kind of no, periods no, as well? Esterhouse was probably high as a kite at the time, but he also disowned it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so consider this something you've fished out of Esterhouse's fucking uh, his, his toilet at this point. Like if he's disowned it. I mean, the man has the man has a credible Hollywood career, but he's also sunk to some depths. <laughs> well, I think what you find is they came up with a story, he wrote the script, and then you've got these other two guys brought in 
who have kind of yeah I'm, taken it away. And I, my understanding is Esther House's initial script was not an action picture. No, I'm it didn't have action beats. I, I would go. I it was would, probably would, a sex picture. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably Showgirls too. I would. I would put the house. Well, on judging the, by the way Van Dam was bloody nibbling on Rosanna Arquette's bloody nipples, it was close to being <laughs> in that bloody realm. I would put the Esther House on it. That Joe wasn't the one that sh- <laughs> Joe wasn't the one that shook his hand and said, "I'll fix it." <laughs> No, no. Quite frankly, Van Dam at the time has, I think he's mentioned that he was on the coke as well. So, um, can we can we confirm that anyone shook his hand? I think he might have been just imagining things. (laughs) Let me tell you something, mate. We got you got two people coked to the eyeballs. Neither of them should be uh, talking about how they're going to fix this. (laughs) Look straight into the likes for me. The action scenes are directed with a bit of style and a bit of excitement. They actually do get things going. Yeah. Things actually look good when yep. they're done. And it feels like the director knew how to handle Van Damme in, the, in those those scenes and he gets the best out of him. I mean. Yeah. Fair enough. That's when that. he's at his best, mate, kicking people in the balls or <laughs> whatnot. <laughs> yeah, that's when he's at his absolute best. Yeah, when you can't trust the bloke to say yes, I'll be I'll be the man to save your farm. You better give him a fair. You better give him a a, a cavalcade of testicles to kick because. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave him enough. They gave him enough. Yeah, to like yeah. There's a good solid three or four nut shots in there, so he he gets the required quota. Yeah, he gets the job done in those in those aspects. You buy him. You buy him as a man who could, you know, if three or four blokes rocked up, he could get the job done and and send them off on their way, which is essentially all they all they give to him early on. Yeah, exactly. Look, it actually opens with a decent bus, the bus crash, and yeah, the prison break, and there's actually a couple of really nice shots in that period. When the bus crashes, you yeah. get an inside view of everybody going when you're up out of their seats and everything, and as it rolls. Yeah. Yep. And then there's a fantastic one with the POV of the bullet being yeah, fired yeah. by the guard that then goes whoosh, through the back window and shoots his mate. Yeah, talk about thinking, getting through your story at a – Who directed a, this? <laughs> talk about getting through your story at a cracking pace. <laughs> like, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. That The opening is pretty much – on the money, and when it's not well directed, I'm gonna give it a like that. I was I was actually laughing at JCVD there, going, "Ah, my leg, my leg, it's broken, it's <laughs> broken." And then when the guy turns up and he goes, "Ah, my leg, what's broken?" And he goes, "Your face," <laughs> <laughs> and gives him a quick jab straight. <laughs> Straight in the face. That I was actually was also kind of surprised. Brilliant. I was actually also kind of surprised, Jared, that the prison break was for Van Damme. You know, like he usually plays these characters that are kind of like, you know, kind of heroic all the time. And I thought the prison break was by some other scumbags and Van Damme just gets yeah. on the run himself. Yeah. But I kind of dug the fact that it was it was for him and he was playing, I guess, a bad guy. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, it feels no different was, to anything else he's been. But pretty solid. 
the fact that it, you know, it was his mate that did it because his mate was feeling guilty about the fact that he was doing time for for something he didn't do. It and this of, is what you get from this house, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, this is what you get when you when you pick the the best at, the the best riders in Hollywood at the time, giving you their best work, really, and um, <laughs> not not you giving. Yeah, you, you ask Esther House to plunge his toilet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. this is the work that you get when you're not asking them to give you the first script they've written when their dealer comes knocking for for their latest bill. But but, listen, mate, this is two weeks overdue. Oh, shit, I've got a Van Damme movie. I've got this script, I found it. You take that as collateral? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The setup all that the setup all works fine. And I think as you said, some of it was pretty well directed. The scenes where the bullets going, I actually didn't mind. I mean, they set up on the bus, the rest of the guys look like absolute scumbags. <laughs> so they actually set up when a couple of them are trying to pinch the car, and I must say they showed one guy and I thought He's going to play into this, and he's one of the guys that tries to pinch the car yeah. and gets a little bit of gets a little bit of treatment from Van Dam. I was happy with all that. That was all fine. Look, a lot of my likes involve Van Dam beating the shit out of people. When we first get a blue between <laughs> Van Dam and those group of thugs down near the, the the farmhouse, where he's supposedly working as a parking attendant. Everybody oh, turns up and gives, drops that fucking horrid line yeah. about, oh, I'm the parking attendant. That was just bullshit. But the fight that bullshit. goes after that is worth viewing. It, it, it's good. It's good to see him punching a few people. One thing I will bring up, though, is if I'm in a group of thugs, there's four of us, you know, we're all bloody long, we're, we've all got mullets and we're wearing, you know, flannel and stuff, <laughs> and we turn up. And this guy dispatches the first one of us with a couple of nicely, you know, found punches and, you know, slips me over. I'm thinking to myself, uh, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, well, this is not going to go the, well. The first step is if you are in the thug business, <laughs> you would probably at least <laughs> say, hey, listen, one, two and three, let's coordinate. Let's get in there yeah. together. I mean, if you miss him and I get one on the jaw, we might be all right. <laughs> <laughs> or how and many is when number two's taken three? out, when number two's taken out, you and your remaining partner go, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, when you're setting up to come and do this, I mean, admittedly they weren't expecting Van Damme to turn up, but come on mass, you know, ten blokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring Give a bit of heat. Yeah, yeah. Give us a bit of pepper. This is what I mean, the first time is, around. Jared. <laughs> the first time around, the three or four blokes works, but the next time it doesn't. So you really got to. Uh, I'm I'm talking to management and saying you guys aren't doing the job here. We need a couple more. <laughs> we need a few more numbers here, and then I might yeah, end yeah. up in the. I might we end need up a couple in middle of ten day contracts. <laughs> yeah, I might end up in middle management where I'm the guy standing back. Go all right, one, two, three, four. You guys go first. <laughs> We yeah, if you get a promotion to middle management, you need to manage this shit better. <laughs> Bring more people. Get some contracts out there. Get some guys who can help. For a head honcho that's got so many contracts on the run, he he needs he needs better middle management. That's what failed him here. He he needed better uh, he needed better middlemen who were going to say we'll take ten honchos and get the job done. Yeah, that's, that's right. Let him down. Well, I was going to say Ted Levine is. Typically yep. solid from yep. the get go. 
Like the little the the little card trick stuff is is decent villain for a Van Dam picture. I mean that's yeah. that's the classic he kind of, sort of is, setup. He's muted a little bit for a large portion, but when he gets to cut loose near the end, he's he's exactly what I would have hoped for. Mm. And well, personally, Jared, I don't mind Rosanna Arquette. I think she doesn't get anything to do here. This is fucking as flat a character as you can get. Oh, man. Um, well, she you know, said she's it. She's basically just a damsel in dismiss, <laughs> distress. Sorry? She said it. She said there's not all yeah. that many good roles for women, and this was the one she picked. <laughs> <laughs> this is what she went after, and really, yeah. I mean, she's better than this sort of shit, but I can see why you would take it. She's a very good actress, and if you are saying, I'm not getting any good roles for women other than the one where Van Damme is nibbling on my nipples, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, probably look. tells you what was coming across the desk <laughs> at that point. <laughs> the 90s was The early 90s was not a good time. No, no I, I, I would like to think a woman that she's a good enough actress to have a, a song written about her by Toto that she could probably. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I only recently read that and I was pretty impressed. <laughs> <laughs> she could, she should probably get a little bit more respect than she got here. But yeah, it's showing a, a an actual actress opposite the man who's supposed to be leading the picture. It makes it stark. How <laughs> how acting and it's is probably the same with Ted Levine. Yeah, well, that's the right. two of them Ted, together is a mismatch. Ted Levine is really good, as you said. He's he's out of it for too long, but when he's on the screen, he provides the menace. I mean, you're never going to buy that Ted Levine is going to go there and beat the shit out of Van Damme, but a, a good actor provides that. For long enough in the picture, I mean the, the the back and forth when the sheriff is in the office with the with the guy that's running the whole operation. Operation. Ted Levine is fantastic in those scenes, and he gives you that sense of menace. He gives you everything you're all, you, you are asking and for. You know for what? That role. I'm going to throw um, Esther has a bone here. I actually was pretty happy with the way they handled the the sheriff and yeah. the the relationship between him and Rosanna Arquette, yeah. and if they didn't do it into the old, oh, he's a nefarious mongrel as well. Yeah. They took a slight change of tack there, and I appreciated detour. that. Yeah. yeah, I was fine with that too. I, that was definitely one of my likes. As I said, I think the writing for this type of picture set it up well enough for what you were expecting. I mean, look... Everyone expects Mandam to mangle the dialogue, so, like, <laughs> and yes, that occurred. But yes. from a perspective of what you were putting together, it holds together okay for a period. Yeah, exactly. Um, that the, the you know the small town with the corrupted law enforcement, as you said, the fact that they they made him kind of back and forth in the situation that he was in was was good enough for what you what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. I. Really actually enjoyed the scene where he uses a bulldozer to knock the water tank over to yeah. put out the fire around the propane tank. Again, there's nothing he can't do. I don't know what his life pre-prison was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it involved, you know, all sorts of different things. Engineer. But it is well-directed once again. You know, this yeah. guy, this Robert Harmon seems to have a nice knowledge of how to shoot this stuff and it looks good. Well, it's exciting. It's exciting enough yeah. 
it's uh, tense because you know, I mean, as soon as that guy stood up in the meeting, you knew something was going to happen. But even so, you get to this scene and you think, yeah, I was happy with that. Totally agree. I like the sequence where he takes on those two thugs who are trying to fuck up her crops, I think, um, yeah. using the bulldozer and everything. Yep. Again, that works nicely, well-directed, well-paced. Van Damme doesn't speak, <laughs> no. which is helpful. That helps. And uh, it's a nice way to once again sort of re-raise the excitement levels a little bit because uh, there's a bit of a flat spot before that. Yep. And so once again, that sort of brings in a little bit of excitement to the picture. Agreed. And for me, the final like is I actually thought the finale back at the farmhouse yeah. is entertaining. Like that's where the film shines really because well, you put it- the – you give Van Damme something to fight for because Rosanna Arquette and, and the child are in danger and you put him in the same house as the bad guys. Yeah. I, I think and it the, works. The ending was one of the best parts. A, a little bit of the back and forth. I don't think, funnily enough, for a Van Damme film, I don't think the action was the strongest part of the ending. I think you gave him enough to do, but the the writing of having the cops turn up while Hale's got the gun to to Clyde's head and everything, yeah. it was a really good way to go. I, yeah, I actually agreed. really enjoyed the way that they they rolled through that. So, and I um, think the fight between him and Ted Levine is actually quite good because it's back and forth. Yeah. And although you know that Van Dam would have told him up, it looks good on film. And Van Dam, you know, to his credit, he's not counting punches. Well, that's the that's the bonus to getting a guy like Ted Levine is, is that he is an actor who can provide the menace. I mean, the guy has played roles where only his voice is providing the menace. So you get that, yeah. but then you get a good enough actor who can sit there looking at another bloke on screen who's the law, you know, the law enforcement uh, of the whole town essentially, and make him look like you got nothing on me, and it works. Because Ted Levine yep. is a very good actor, and that that's the difference, right? So when you put him in the end, you've already bought him as as being up to the task. And so when, as you said, Van Dam doesn't is not counting the punches, and Ted Levine gets a few in and gets a bit of damage on him, then it works because you've already bought him mm. at that point. So yeah. yeah, I think I think all of that works. And the guy that plays Hale, I've, uh, his name escapes me. Josh Ackland. Yeah, he's a good enough actor to, to to throw out that bit at the end where he starts yelling at people, you know, you, you know who I am and all this that sort of shit. And then when when Van Damme fucking hits him in the Jats crackers, it's actually <laughs> it's actually a really good ending. The way yeah. to finish it. Yeah, I appreciated the finale. I thought they did a really good job and it was kind of like I kind of felt like where was some of this earlier? Yeah. Definitely. Like where why didn't we weave the action into it a little bit stronger, like push the action a little bit harder because yeah. I think it would have actually paid off. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think it's sort of the bones to the story are pretty strong, but it gets it goes away for a while. Yeah. And do you have any other likes? Mate, I've got a few here that you haven't mentioned. Shit. Number one, whoever the prison barber is should get a job at bloody hair by Stefan when he gets out of prison because Van Damme's <laughs> Van Damme's mop is looking outstanding when he gets out of <laughs> I mean, it's no chance for Drew, but 
It's pretty good. And just quietly, mate, you know, after that scene where he fights off those guys with the bulldozer and everything who are trying to ruin the crop. <laughs> yeah. He seems to be dressed suspiciously similar to Chancebridge Road <laughs> when he's back at the house. I thought, well, that's a nice touch. Well, they know where the, the hair, but- at. They know where the peak Van Dam is at, and they want to go as close to that as possible. But yeah, yeah, double dead him. Yeah, double if dead him with high waisted jeans. <laughs> <laughs> if you're getting your hair cut by a bloke who's just been handed a, <laughs> he's been handed a set of clippers and told this is what you do while you're locked up, mate, <laughs> and your hair looks like that. I think he deserves a bit of credit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like he didn't get his buddy get shivved in the neck. <laughs> it's a win all round for the bloke. Exactly, he's got his way through, and he's actually got a bit of a bit of flair for his uh, his profession. You also failed to mention that when Van Dam's in his tent, he gets a quiet moment to flick through some stick mags. <laughs> That in my dislikes, but quite That's frankly, a definite like. Absolutely, you are like. on the run from the cops. You don't have time to pick up the latest issue of Jugs magazine, mate. It's not a good move. I tell Stay you, mate, on the you, run, JCVD. If you are fresh off the prison bus, the first stop is Fantasy Lane, and you're sneaking past <laughs> the magazine rack. You're sneaking past the magazine rack, and you pick it up whatever you can get in the quick two and minutes. Yeah, what, well, Jared? Yeah, you know what? He wouldn't look out of a place in disguise in a <laughs> with a haircut like that. Fake nose, a mustache, regular customer at Fantasy Lane. I'm telling you. And you, you 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 think to yourself, oh shit, I've got to get out of town. Oh, I could probably give two minutes to <laughs> probably give two minutes to the magazine rack. Whichever one looks the best, I'm quickly grabbing it and I'm back on the run again. <laughs> Obviously, that's what happened. (laughs) That is is a piece of absolute gold. You are wanted by the police, but you've got time to read stick. (laughs) I get it. The article's still cleared or what? Well, clearly he didn't have enough cigarettes to trade when he was in when he was in the clink. So (laughs) as soon as he's out and he's got a bit of cash in the pocket. That's the, that's the first place you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was comic gold. It was. I was laughing my ass off when it came up. <laughs> yeah, Because so he looked so um, comfortable in the tin. Oh, yeah. of course. It, it, was exactly, it was exactly what you would expect. So what else you got? Anything else? Okay. Um, Hale's delivery of uh, one little woman in the middle of a wheat field and what is she doing? She's fucking us up. <laughs> Was absolutely <laughs> outstanding delivery from, from the man. He just kind of looks at the camera like, <laughs> "All right." For a very, uh, very straight down the line kind of uh, dialogue piece of dialogue that you're given, he delivers it with a plum. I would say gusto would be the with word. Gusto, <laughs> outstanding. I actually really liked, and I don't know why, but I think it was possibly because, as you mentioned, there's a bit of a lull. But when he's on the bike and he's heading down the mountain, I thought it was a pretty impressive, um, I wouldn't say stunt. Uh, Well, I guess you've got to give credit to the stunt people because the shot looked pretty pretty solid. Like it actually looked like one of those bloody BMX or, or mountain bike 
kind of videos that they do now with drones, but obviously they did it with a helicopter at that point where someone was kind of just heading down a, a trail um, on a on a uh, motorbike, and I, th- I actually thought it looked pretty impressive, to be honest. Yeah, and I thought that that whole motorcycle chase barring one sequence that's in the uh, in the dislikes, but the rest of it was just was quite, once again, directed with a bit of flair. Yeah. Brought some excitement to the table. And yep. you're right, that shot from above where he's riding on the ridge yep. looks beautiful. Yeah. Like it's I just fantastic. Yep. I was pretty excited. Um, and obviously you uh, you haven't watched John Wick 3 yet. So you no. Might, you might want to block your ears. But <laughs> the old uh, getting the horse to kick someone in the face pre-John yes. Wick. Uh, look, I have to say, I absolutely love John Wick Three, and I never gave JCVD credit for being <laughs> being the man that being ahead of his time. Well, John Wick was copying. I hate to say it now, but it was <laughs> he was John copying Wick. Van Damme for Christ's look, sake. John a lesser Wick. Van Damme. John Wick has watched Nowhere to Run, no doubt. Now oh, him and us, and that's about credit. it. I give him credit for that. Yeah, look, credit where credit's due. JCVD and the writers of this came up with that first. Yep. Got to give them the credit they deserve. Anything else for you? No, that was my likes, mate, and possibly crossing over with some of your dislikes. Yeah, well, his foray into fantasy lane was in the dislikes, but, yeah, (laughs) we've covered it. (laughs) It was on the border. The dislikes start with the villainous plot, like that whole thing about these nefarious bad guys wanting to buy up land for some kind of development that's shady. It's the kind of action plot you use when you don't have anything else. Like, it's really kind of generic, It's pretty plain. And, I mean, they've set Clyde up as the person that, that doesn't have the money to sustain what she's got, but it's in a place where clearly someone like that has set up with a lot of land, so how did that happen in the first place? If it's land that someone who wants to get their hands on and make yeah. a lot of money out of, like that doesn't make sense. But I guess I I, I bought it just because it was easy set up to go with from the get go. Oh yes, it's definitely buyable. Like I'm not saying that it's not acceptable. It's just so generic that it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't give any sort of. Anything to really cling to. you got all these thugs yeah. and shit turning up trying to ruin her crops and do all this to her and burn her place down. And but it just kind of feels like we've been there, we've seen it. Let's just address it. And, you know, sometimes we like to do this on the Thrill Me podcast is go to places <laughs> where it's completely unrealistic, but we'll take it from a realistic point of view. How many henchmen are you getting into the middle of fucking bumfuck wherever they are? I mean, they seem to have an indispensable kind of amount. They just you just call someone up and fucking. Is there one of those flyers job? tacked down at the bulletin board <laughs> of the convenience store that's got the little, you know, call me if you want to punch somebody? Yeah, yeah, you, know, you pull city, a little piece off. The big is city thug. The big city thug kind of um, go is just it's it's flooded at the moment. So you got to get a few people, you know, running their hustle down in in a place that nobody wants to go. So. Yeah, it's just it, it doesn't make any any kind of sense in that regard because and she look, seems it might to have be the same thugs repeated over and over. I don't know. I didn't look too close, but 
I mean, after you've had your ass kicked by Van Dam, I don't think you come back for a second. <laughs> no, you're day, leaving you? town. We've seen, we've seen Machete. We've seen the bloke just put his hands up and say, hey, I'm out. <laughs> that's it. That's how it happens when Van Dam comes at you with a hefty fly kick. But that's she right. seems to have a large parcel of land. So uh, it's just, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't uh, pass muster from that regard. I mean, I, I know think. there was that whole little side piece about how her her husband had died and that's why she was financially strapped. I believe, but yeah, but they're running the same. Know. I mean, he's obviously running the same cattle as she's running after he died. Yeah, and she seemed to have acreage. She had plenty, I mean. mate. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, when the next door neighbor's barn catches on fire, they seem to see it pretty easily. But she's got so much land that she's got a fucking ban hunting and and camping on her land. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't pass muster for mine. Yeah. You look into it too deeply, and you find some you find some problems. Yeah. Speaking of problems, <laughs> it does not play to Van Damme's strengths as an actor. What no. they are, I don't know. But well, you put two <laughs> things you put two things that don't belong in the same sentence there: strength and Van, well, three things: Van Damme, strength, actor. They don't belong together. <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't knock the bike because his strength is his physicality. Right? Yeah. So. He's a physical guy. He needs to do less emoting, yeah, and more kicking people's balls, right? But <laughs> the right director can get a somewhat semi-decent emotional piece out of him when you need to. Yeah. And perhaps maybe this is where the director falls down a little bit because, as I said, the guy looks fucking uncomfortable. I never bought the relationships at all. Yeah. With the child and with Clyde, neither of them resonated at all. And most well, of that's Van Damme's fault. It seems to me like this is a movie that a Stallone could have pulled off. Because although yeah. the action sequences aren't there, Stallone is the one out of those, you know, if you look at the guys from that era, Stallone, Arnie, Van Damme, possibly a Willis. Willis could have maybe done some sort of stuff. Could Seagal have handled yeah, it? Well, of course Seagal <laughs> could have handled it because he could handle anything. But to me, Stallone is the one that this sort of movie worked for because Stallone was the one that could act a little bit at that point. Yes. <laughs> Van Damme now I think could get you a bit of this stuff. But at that point, I mean, it was just look at the camera, don't move your face and say the words. <laughs> look, you can see why it was offered to Mel Gibson. Yeah. Because Mel Gibson could have done this role. Yeah, but then, but, you know, you miss out on the, the, the rest of the stuff that Van Damme actually gave it. Like, Mel Gibson couldn't give you that that sort of stuff at that point. I don't yeah, know. the ass-kicking and the – yeah, you're right. It's kind of it's, it's kind of like a, a double-edged sword. You yeah. have to give away the acting prowess for the physicality, and the physicality yep. is the best part of the film. Yeah, definitely. So you probably lose that with Mel Gibson or even Stallone. Well, yeah, you lose, that. You lose the, the, the impressive stuff that Van Damme can give you. You lose a bit of it with the Stallone, but he was always the guy that you could buy as, I guess, because of Rocky because and yeah. a little bit of Rambo, was the, the guy that could do this sort of stuff. But Stallone was always the best actor out of those three guys that we we, we kind of just, well, the, the, the four or five guys that we just mentioned there. Yeah. Stallone's probably the middle ground. And when you Yeah, you would have found like, the right... Probably found the best niche with Stallone. Yeah, and when you look at something like Copland, Stallone was the first guy to accept 
when you moved past this sort of stuff. Not going to say he didn't kind of take that and run with it and move back into this sort of stuff with the Rambo movies again. But I don't know. Van Damme just couldn't carry, especially when you put him on screen with Rosanna Arquette. Like she's she's trying and he's just kind of looking at her. (laughs) I mean, yeah. It's it's all he's sort of looking at her like what? <laughs> yeah, you're kind of expecting to kind of say, hey, "Do you get your boobs out now?" and kind of just kind of <laughs> go with that. But yeah, doesn't work. If I'm putting it in um, horse racing parlance, the bloke has got he's got top weight. <laughs> like he's just weighed down. Like he's got too much on. He's handicapped a hill <laughs> because. They've yes. asked him to emote and it doesn't work. They've asked him to build relationships with humans. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, case in point. Not the hit pink, them. Case in point, the Pink Flamingos dialogue in the service station, that's pretty good dialogue for this sort of movie, but he cannot do it. He yes. kinda, You know, when they go, what are you hunting? And he goes, Pink Flamingos. And you kind of get what he's talking about. But it just doesn't carry when he's delivering it. And then the yeah. guy goes, you know, he, he goes to the guy, you haven't seen any pink flamingos around here, whatever he says. And you know what he's getting at, but it's just like, no, you just, you missed, mate. <laughs> you yeah. missed and the budget said, uh, we've given it as many takes as we've got. <laughs> we've got yeah. to move to the next setup. We have know? got to move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's what And happened. that sequence, it's, it, I, I couldn't stop laughing either at that sequence where he comes in and he goes, yeah, does the Pink, Pink Flamingo stuff. And then you, you hear the radio going and it says, oh, 12 of the uh, convicts, 17 convicts have been um, from the bus crash have been uh, re-arrested. And Van, the look on Van Damme's face is honestly like going, <laughs> I am one of them. He's <laughs> like, just looking. I'm like, hey. Yeah. Keep it on the down low. Exactly. But it's also indecipherable from him. You know, you can you can imagine him saying, I am one of them, but then you can also imagine and the, the, the facial expression is the same. <laughs> That's the problem. The seriousness of the situation is not conveyed by JCVD. Yeah, exactly. And that's what hurts the, the film is that the relationships are not really built. And, you know, I'm placing the blame on Van Damme because he he's just not capable of this. Yeah. Maybe if you took the child out of things, it might have been easier for him, but he's not able to sort of give it any gravitas or give it any kind of weight because no. he's not an he's not a great actor. He's not a good actor. Well, he hasn't really hit a point where he could do this sort of stuff until now, as we spoke yeah, about he's recently. he's better like, now. There's no doubt about it. The last couple of, you know, the JCVD movie, the the Amazon little pilot that he did that unfortunately didn't get picked up, that's where he kind of carries this, you know, that's where you can look at him and say he might be able to do that now. Yeah. But it's too, it's kind of too late. This was his period where I guess he was trading on his physical skills. Yeah, Because he had them. So it's not really his fault. No, not really. Well, well yes. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> when he watches Rosanna Arquette get undressed and get in the shower... I mean, he's leering like a bloody. Oh, it's just. Scumbag. I mean, close your mouth, JCVD. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, and also, how can she not see him there? Basically, <laughs> he's standing right in the window. 
Yeah, exactly. But I guess, I mean, she probably expected it. Look at the bloke. (laughs) 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 I I noticed the same thing. Like, I mean, if you're as as much of a gentleman as you think, I guess we can't give him too much credit because he's been in the clink for how long. He's turned up to fantasy lane. That hasn't satisfied the needs. (laughs) So now he's peering (laughs) through windows. Like, (laughs) Yeah, look, putting those... Three sequences in in order: him in a tent with a stick mag, followed by watching <laughs> a woman get undressed and and have a shower, followed by an extremely unsexy sex scene. The whole thing sounds bad. Oh, it makes perfect sense, <laughs> though. It makes perfect sense. It's the most realistic. It does. It feels like a boy who just got out of prison. <laughs> exactly, with a, with a fresh haircut from the prison uh, with the from the prison hairdresser. The prison barber was doing an absolutely fantastic job. Exactly. So he sort of felt that he was a chance. Yeah, you got to take that out of your dislikes. It's the most realistic part of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Though he was he was leering with the worst of them. <laughs> There's some shocking one-liners. This is another thing oh, JCBD is not good at. This was he my, he w- this was my biggest dislike. Yeah, he can't seem to harness. The understanding of what a good one-liner is for an action film, it just kind of felt like he didn't, doesn't really know what that is. But I feel like it, it, this was, again, this was probably down to writing because the one-liners were so out of context. Like yeah. the, ones that, the ones that stood out to me were obviously the parking inspector. Like she's oh, crashed into the wall and he's like, I'm the parking inspector and you're bothering my customers. And I'm just like, okay, so the only link that you've got there is she's a she's one car in a large rural property who's banged into a fence <laughs> and you've made a gag about a parking inspector. But then we get the exact same thing when he gets a, a, a length of wood and fucking yeah. belts the guy with it and he gives it a strike three, you're out. And I'm like, there's no link there. There's nothing like... The reason that some of the quips work are either, number one, they're a really cool thing to say, like probably what Arnie was dropping in Predator, not necessarily linking to anything but really good lines like, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Yeah. Or they link to what you're doing somehow. The ones yeah. in this were just totally, like, out of context and so they looked ridiculous whenever he was trying to say them. Exactly. And... It just never worked, and it just takes away that sort of factor of a bit of cool. You've got to have a, you know, if you've got an action hero, he's got to have a one-liner. And this was the 90s, so this was yeah. it was ex- expected, really. Yep. And I'm not saying it needs to be absolutely brilliant, but it needs to have some kind of context. It's got to be a con- in context to what's just happened. Right? Stick exactly. around, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. You know, classic. Well, it's not a great about- line. But it's just cool the way it's done. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about Van Damme, for me, he's never nailed that. The best one that I can think of is is Bloodsport when he's screaming out, say it. Yeah. And that's about his best, you know, his best lines in those contexts. Because yeah, agreed. that's what he was kind of missing from, from the Arnie's and the Stallones is that he never got in films this well-written, like uh, Stallone had a first blood or um, a Rocky and, and things like that. Arnie had Predator and Terminator and, and he got those iconic one-liners. You look back at it, Van Damme doesn't have those. No. 
And it's kind of like that's another reason why he's a tier lower. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's he just you know, never got the he never got the the great line that. Yeah, and look, they, don't get me wrong. Were looking for all it, the big stars had get there. had errors in their one liner. You know, they had some shit one liners throughout their films, but they always had a classic to fall back on. Yeah, like, and don't get always me wrong. remembered for those classic lines. Don't get me wrong. Stallone and Arnie were rolling in the muck right next to Van Damme on a couple of occasions. Yes. But they always had those to fall back on and Van Damme never kind of reached that. Exactly. Um, and and Seagal was the same. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I would put Van Damme a tier above Seagal even. But in terms of the writing and the one-liners, he just never had it. As I said, Bloodsports is as close as he got when he's there yelling out, say it, say it, trying to make the guy tap out. In yeah. these kind of pitches... JCVD never got, he never, ever got a, you know, you know, kill me, I'm here or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Look, I really enjoyed the the motorcycle situation and the motorcycle chase, mm-hmm. but the way he gets on the bike, when he kind of <laughs> fucking leaps, yeah! <laughs> yeah, that was it's a comical. definite dislike. It's Again, comical. He's one of these guys who almost smells it. You look at him and he's kind of his his eyes Someone's go left to right. His, his eyes go left to right, and you know he's onto something. And all you're missing is a and he fucking <laughs> leaps onto the bike. I know it and looks it ridiculous, looks ludicrous. Yeah, it looks. Yeah. Even though they try and edit around it, it looks shocking. Yeah, and the whole thing they do it in slow motion. It's like, oh my god, you didn't need yeah. that. Just jump on the bike. Yeah, exactly. Now just grab the bike and go. No, but what, Such you're missing, and, what you're missing, Adam, is it saves so much time to fucking leap onto the bike and fucking hit the <laughs> hit the start just at the same time as you're landing. Like, you, 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 precious seconds, mate. <laughs> yeah, precious seconds. I mean, fuck, he's rare man. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's crouched down and he just sort of goes, oi. <laughs> you might have just nailed the casting for, you know, the upcoming, hey, man, got it. <laughs> yeah. Bad damn in the role. Yeah. His stunt double also on the motorbike does not resemble Van Damme at all. No. I mean, it's as bad as that Moonraker one. Yeah. Well, it's not quite as bad because they don't go a close-up on his face, but it's not good. <laughs> I mean, the guy, the guy looks nothing like him. Well, was it Jim Carrey again? Because I thought it was Jim Carrey in Moonraker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They get him in whenever they're looking for any old idiot to jump He's on He's got a, a very career. <laughs> It's just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah and no, my I, final life I thought it, I thought was I exactly thought what it, you said. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, I actually thought it looked like Ali, Alex Rodriguez a couple of, so, a couple of times. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was just, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't Van Damme. And look, I'm not no. saying the bike needs to ride down a hill at pace. <laughs> leave that to a guy getting paid minimum wage. <laughs> well, you know, convince me you can do it and I'll... <laughs> If your acting says, yeah, I can ride down a hill at full pace, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Until and then, sorry, John claude you got to jump on the bike too. Well, that's right. He said to the director, listen, I can do the ride down the hill, and the director said, you can't even convince me you were on the motorbike. You can't convince me that you like this child. So. 
<laughs> Don't worry about the money, no. bike, mate. Quite frankly, you can't convince me we're on a film set. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yep. My final dislike is the final one-liner of the film is just also fucking stupid. The whole au revoir, au revoir motherfucker or au revoir fucker or whatever he says. Yeah. It's just like, what What are we talking about? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Why are we saying this shit? Well, it's kind of like we're trying for it. We're trying for an iconic and we, we just missed. It's kind of like the 90s template says there has to be a final sort of. Yeah, absolutely. Line to finish it off, to tell the bad guy how bad he is. And that is not the one for it. He would be better off being silent. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I, I, that kind of goes back to what I said about them all being out of context. They were just there because that's what you needed. Yeah, th- there was a feeling that this is what's required. Yep. In this film, because it's an action film and Van Damme's a star, he's got to be saying this. Whereas it, he could have just kept some of them out. The parking attendant shit could have been left out. Yeah. Half of them could have been left out and it wouldn't have changed anything. In I fact, mean, it would have probably made him better. Well, it would have because he didn't have to talk. It would have made him more <laughs> mysterious. <laughs> Sorry, what's your name? Uh, you don't want to say anything? No worries. Just leave the acting yeah. to me. That's all right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it really, I felt, kind of finishes the film at a bit of a low somewhat. Yeah, yeah. Because everything that led up to that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in I terms think- of the finale. Yeah. Oh, I think you are probably right. Um, Do you have any other li- uh, dislikes there? I've got a couple more. I'm not sure why you didn't mention him getting taken up in the in the uh, again. This is the whole combine harvester um, thing again. I can't remember what it's called, but the fucking little the the tray of the digger. What do you call it? Remember when he gets he gets they drop the front of the digger on top of him. And then they look oh, up yeah. and he's not there. And then he fucking like the bulldozer leaps. front. Yeah, he leaps he out up, of it. <laughs> I'm assuming he's in it. He's in it, and he's done the he's done the old you know hands to the side and legs to the side, <laughs> and then leaps <laughs> out of it. That's all we can assume because he can do that. Yeah. That is just absolutely laughable. There's a fine <laughs> line for JCVD between cool and laughable because you know he's he can do more than you can do. But can he do that? <laughs> so. <laughs> so that was a definite yeah. dislike for me. <laughs> They're trying to ramp up the tension that he could be dead. But no. Nah, yeah. When I see him do a, got into the- When I see him do a fly kick, I know he can do that and I can't. But I also know he can't fucking he can't fucking brace himself in the tray of the little digger <laughs> and hold it there for, you know, a good thirty to forty seconds without being noticed. Yeah. That's pretty bloody silly. It's pretty silly. Not enough Ted Levine. As I mentioned earlier, I really thought he was very strong in terms of a in terms of an antagonist. I just felt like when it went to a dead spot, it was like less of him and more of his three thugs turn up at the at the farm. Yeah. And there was a stretch there where we just didn't seem to get much of him at all. And then he came back in towards the end. But I felt like he yeah. was the presence that you kind of needed hanging around and and keeping the threat there, especially when you see him walk up with the little girl. That is the one moment in the movie where I was like, oh, shit. He, yeah, and he says you should be keeping here. an eye on her. 
Yeah, exactly. And I felt like they went away from that and then they came back to it when he walks up with the girl. And I think we missed him for, for too much. And the last one, I know we sort of said that, that it was in the likes, that the ending and the showdown. I just felt like towards the end, it was maybe a little bit small. We probably could have thrown, that's where we possibly could have thrown. And I know I made a joke about this, about, you know, the henchmen that couldn't get work in the city coming out to the sticks. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we could have thrown another three to four blokes there in that scene just to give it a little more pepper from in, in terms of Van Damme coming and fly-kicking someone or doing something like that. Yeah, because he kind of like doesn't went, fight anyone else, does he? He just no, he fights Ted Levine he and took, he shoots a couple of blokes, I think. Yeah, it felt like he took out a couple of blokes really quickly and then it was straight to Ted Levine. And I just felt that was probably where we could have given him a couple of people to work through and then hit Ted Levine. Agreed. So that was, that was probably the last one touch. for me. Yeah, beef, beef, just beef that finale up a little bit more, a little bit yeah. more action. Maybe blow something up. <laughs> yeah, blow the barn up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blow the barn to shit. Yeah, blow up a propane tank. I mean, shit, we've, like we've already made it clear that Van Damme could rebuild that in three days by himself, so. Yeah, well, shit, allegedly. I mean, what the fuck was he doing in prison? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's He's the question I've got. Was he a carpenter? <laughs> was he a cook? <laughs> Was he the, the hairdresser? He's got skills to offer to society. Well, he, poss- he possibly cut his own hair. I don't know. That was never established. <laughs> he rocks in at one point and starts crapping on about how how um, the legal process works. <laughs> yeah. I understand he's in prison, but he, so he probably yeah, was getting appeals on his case. So is that but- what you're asking for next, JCVD at law? <laughs> JCVD Esquire. <laughs> exactly what we do. Yeah, yeah. He'd be defending himself in assault cases left and right. Mate, you've just pitched a series. That's an absolute winner. JCVD. Easy 10, 10 episode series. Half hour. Yeah, J- um, JCVD. Laugh track? Is, that a, is this a sitcom? No. Yeah, it's, it's a sitcom. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah. Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. It's like JCVD. <laughs> Um, <laughs> representing the characters that he played in movies <laughs> for their crimes. Yeah, That's he's repping Chance, he's, he's repping Chance Boudreaux and, you know, <laughs> all these characters. If this oh, happens, I, I expect this, credit. This has got legs. Yeah, absolutely it's got legs. We need credit for this. You know, all those. Should we, all, yeah, we should pitch it. Amazon will take it. Yeah, Amazon will take it. <laughs> I cannot wait to see JCVD repping Chance Chance Madreau. That would be just, yeah. I mean, shit. Yep. I would put everything aside to watch that, just like I did for the last dance. My client, that hair is real. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, it is full of it is full of product, but it's real. Look, you are damn right. The coffee was tolerable. We'll <laughs> put that into evidence. Okay, so it didn't require beating the shit out of six guys after it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate, is that everything? Yeah, that was it for me. Oh, that was nowhere to run. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podomatic. Send us an email at thrillme at iinet.net.au. We're on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia, Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com, and Instagram at thrillmepodcastau. 
Our next episode is the 2006 remake of When a Stranger Calls. I do not have fond memories of this film, Jared, so I'm not sure how this is going to go. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. But until then, take it easy and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.